The following is brought to you by TheKnowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for August 25th, 2021. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Afghanistan in this episode. We might touch on it in the interview a little bit. I'm not really sure. But by and large, we're going to be without any kind of further breakdown of what's happening, quite frankly, because I don't know how much more I can offer. Two things are at play here, three things, really, that give me buzz about coming in with wild off-the-top rope takes. Number one, the fog of war. When things are moving really, really fast, it's very hard to know what the reality on the ground is. When I was watching the Sunday shows for a Patreon podcast uh, over the weekend, I noticed that there was a lot of footage. A lot of footage from British sources, a lot of footage from American sources. And then I realized that it was the same footage. So we're, we're getting... Pictures and videos that are there and they're being passed on to the media outlets that are largely stationed at at bases around the world. I'm not saying that we don't know exactly what's happening. I'm saying it's hard to know exactly what's happening. And that gives me pause. Number two. This is. A foreign area and, and in, in general, whenever you are dealing with language barriers. And this is like. It, Beyond politics, this is whenever you hear about a, you know, a person in in Finland who says that they can breathe yellow jackets or something. Nine times out of 10, this is a mildly interesting story made more interesting when filtered through a language barrier and the desire for clicks. And it's also just kind of a, a, this is number three, this is just a, a fast evolving story. A lot of things are changing uh, very quickly. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time except to bring you this headline. A Taliban spokesman has said that, that the U.S. must complete evacuations b- uh, from Afghanistan by October 31st and that there would be no extensions. There was also reporting that the CIA, the head of the CIA, met with the head of the Taliban over the last few days. So that's it for the Afghanistan talk for now. Here's what we are going to talk about. What's going on in the House? Moderate Democrats stood up to Nancy Pelosi and lost one. We will break down all of it in a second. We will also discuss a little bit more about the California recall. 
Larry Elder is now your front runner, and you know it because he is getting ads run against him by Gavin Newsom. And we saw something that, man, man, I uh, didn't know how much I missed it till I saw it again. A bona fide, late in the campaign, skeletons dancing out of the closet hit piece. Oh boy, those bones were shaking and clattering, hands on each other's hip bones as they did the cha-cha out of Larry Elder's closet. His ex-fiance says that he brandished a gun. An ill-advised tattoo is involved. Snoop Dogg is mentioned. The latest on the on the recall, including some real worries for the Democrats about the T word. Not Trump. They wish Trump was more involved. Turnout. All that. But oh, and, and Scott Johnson. But first. What? I heard you apologize. Why? You got every reason in the world to be mad. I know. Jesus, that seems to be the late motif in your life. Ever backing down. I don't back down. You always back down. You assume blame that's not yours. You come in on your day off. You buckle like a belt. Do you know what really pisses me off? The fact that I'm right about your buckling? Then I'm gonna miss the f***ing game. Because you buckled. Will you shut up with that It ain't helping. I don't yell at me, pal. I'm sorry. See? There you go again. That is a clip from the 90s indie classic Clerks. And I played it because that's what I was thinking when I first saw that the House moderates in the Democratic Party were going to challenge Nancy Pelosi. Because they, well, got a little bit of a rep. They got a reputation. For, for saying they're going to do something and then, you know, buckling like a belt. Now, this wasn't quite the total failure that, that many were predicting, but let's go ahead and break this down from the beginning. Okay, so Democratic House moderates, many of whom have re-elections to worry about, want to vote on the bipartisan infrastructure deal that was passed by the Senate immediately. They believe it's a win. They want to put it under their cap and they want it separated from the soft human infrastructure bill because they are going to be afraid that both the bill itself and the fight that will undoubtedly surround it will be very unpopular. So they'd like to just get this win clean, banked, now, and then focus on everything else. Of course, the progressives are dead set against that. They believe that the moderates will get weak in the knees if they get their hard infrastructure. And so, how can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? They want both of them to pass together. And more specifically, they want hard infrastructure to pass after soft infrastructure. So what do the moderates do? Well, they decide to uh, protest a House vote on the budget that the Senate needs to move forward with reconciliation 
on the soft infrastructure bill. Everybody follow? House needs to pass a budget. The budget goes to the Senate. The Senate then has access to the budgetary measure of reconciliation, which allows them to circumvent the the 10 vote majority, the 10 vote uh, uh, cushion on a bill to pass it. They can then pass it with just a straight 50-50 with a tiebreaker vote, which the Democrats are in control of. Now, that puts the House moderates in a pretty powerful position. If they refuse to vote on this budget thing, or they are they are they are dead set in saying, "Look, we will jackknife the entire Biden agenda for the moment. We will stand up and and make sure that you have to work around us by voting no." Like that's that's a lot of power, and they held on to that power for about you know four days, and then they buckled like a belt. Well, I would really like to make fun of the moderates for drawing a line in the sand and then pretending it was just the beginning of the J and just kidding. They did get something back. And this is rumored at the time that I am uh, recording this. It might be official by the time that you are hearing it. And that is that on September 28th, so a little bit more than a month from now, the moderates have secured a, a deal with Pelosi that there will be a vote on hard infrastructure on September 28th. That means that Pelosi is effectively surrendering on her promise that hard infrastructure would certainly not get voted on until the soft infrastructure passes via reconciliation. If the 28th is now set in stone, then she could say that this is out of her hands. So either the Senate gets everybody on board uh, in the Democratic Party, and that includes Manchin and Cinema and everybody else, or the bipartisan bill passes and that's that by September 28th. And let's get this very, very clear. There is no guarantee that anything resembling the current $3.5 trillion soft reconciliation package is going to get passed by the Senate at all, let alone quickly. So where does that leave the progressives? Well, unless the Senate uncharacteristically decides to pick up the pace, then they got a real pickle on their hands. Number one, here's the good news. They will have the reconciliation process moving. It will be in the hands of a slim Democratic majority in the Senate. But what if the Senate, you know, Senates and dithers past the deadline? Well, here's the bad news. They're going to have to make a decision. Do they back up their initial bluster and vote against hard infrastructure? Do they pressure Pelosi to try to move the goalposts and delay the vote? This, my friends, is a precarious position for the Democratic Party in power, including Biden, and more on him in a second. But for Congress, some version 
of Biden's grand plan needs to be enacted before the midterms. The Dems have an, albeit tenuous, control over the legislative process and an inability to move things forward would be truly embarrassing. As for the big guy, he's under siege on all sides right now. His approval numbers are now either break even or underwater. The real clear politics average has it in the the lower half of a, a fraction. I think it's it's 0. 0.4. I saw a joke today on Twitter saying that now that Biden's approval rating is underwater, it's time to go into Biden country and interview people at diners. <laughs> Which I would love, I would love to see. But let's count the reasons why things aren't going so well. And August is now officially his least favorite month in the calendar. Afghanistan is a big, loud disaster. Coronavirus is both resurgent and confusing. And the economy, although recovering, is dotted with inflationary worries. But None of those things I just mentioned, with the possible exception of coronavirus, are things that Biden is naturally gifted in. Getting things passed in Congress, he is. And so here's what I am telling you to look out for over the next few weeks. Biden to get more directly involved. Presidents don't like to interject themselves in these things unless they know it's the final mile of a long journey. But I don't think Biden's going to have a lot of options here. If his own party can't get along, he's going to have to make some phone calls and get a little persuasive. And again, Biden is good at this. If there's one thing that I will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, no matter how critical I can be of Joe Biden, there's no question that if one if if one man in Washington knows how to get something passed in the Senate, it's Joe. And they're going to need him now. The California recall continues to tighten. As we now move into the final phase of our Deadbeat Dad summer with East Coast Deadbeat Dad now beating the streets without his title. Governor Cuomo out. Governor Kathy in. But now we turn our eyes westward. I got to say. It's been fascinating watching this California recall election, mostly because California politics are boring. It's one party rule. And even when you're talking about primaries, you're, you're usually just sort of trying to play a, a guessing game of Kremlinology of who has the favor of the machine and and that becomes you know pretty obvious pretty quickly so let's reset the race because recalls are where things have happened 
in, in, in the most wacky ways in California. And this one seems like it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's full on crazy, but it's a little silly. Let's, let's reset. The most recent poll by CBS has Gavin surviving by a 4% margin, but the margin of error is at 3.8. So quite possibly this, this could be a dead heat. While the conventional wisdom throughout anybody who has studied California politics is that Gavin Newsom will survive, there is one caveat. Turnout. How much love is there for Gavin right now? Not necessarily whether or not they like being in California. Not even necessarily that they want to stand up for the Democratic Party because there are Democratic candidates on the ballot to replace him. But how much do you love Gavin? And in watching this race unfold, it's been kind of surprising to me that Gavin doesn't believe, or at least his campaign doesn't believe that there is a strength in talking about Gavin. No. They believe there is a strength in talking about what the what awful options await you should you not want Gavin Newsom. Which is kind of weird, considering the fact that Gavin Newsom is supposed to be somebody that is not only a popular governor of the most populous state in the union, but also a guy with a bright future, somebody who might run for president. You're telling me that he doesn't have the intangibles to, to, to step out and say, follow me, California. We are going to, we, we are going to tackle all this together. Uh, uh, look at my leadership. Look at what I've done. I helped us survive the coronavirus pandemic. We have done this better than Florida. We have done this better than Texas. Let's keep that going. Because right now it's not. Initially, the entire branding around this was it's the Republican recall. And boy, I'll tell you what. If, if the Democratic Party could open a wormhole and pull Mar-a-Lago into the middle of the, 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 the fisherman's wharf in San Francisco, they would. They want this to be about Trump so bad, which, I don't know, just seems low effort to me. Like, I get it. Politics is all about getting more people into a booth or sending in a, a mail-in ballot for your cause over the other person's. And there's nothing that has motivated Democratic voters over the last 25 years like Donald John Trump. But also, this is about Gavin, you know? Which is why I think Gavin was thrilled that something happened over the last two months. And that is the emergence of Larry Elder. Larry Elder is a conservative radio show host. And as of now, by all available polling metrics, 
the far and away favorite to replace Gavin Newsom should the first question of remove or not remove come back remove. In fact, here is Gavin's most recent attack ad. What's at stake in the September 14th recall? It's a matter of life and death. With Delta surging, Gavin Newsom is protecting California, requiring vaccination for health workers and school employees. The top Republican candidate? He peddled deadly conspiracy theories and would eliminate vaccine mandates on day one, threatening school closures and our recovery. Stop the spread. Return your ballot or vote in person by September 14th. Protect California by voting no on the Republican recall. And that's not all. Politico ran a chef's kiss late in the campaign attack piece sourced by a former elder fiance. I'm just going to read uh, the the text of the story because I don't want to make this uh, into a laughing matter. And so I will read it as faithfully as I can. The alleged gun incident occurred in the midst of a heated conversation as their relationship was unraveling, according to the fiance. He was in the bedroom and I was standing by the door, she said. We talked to each other. He became silent, she said, and then slowly, quote, walked over to the nightstand, opened the door and took out a gun, a 45 caliber pistol. And he checked that it was loaded while I was talking, she said. We wanted to make sh- he wanted to make sure that I saw he'd had it. It was an act of silent scorn and anger, she said. For a minute there, I thought it was a Phil Spector moment, the fiancé said, referencing the famed Hollywood record producer who shot and killed actress Lana Clarkson in his Hollywood mansion in 2003. Quote, my fear was great and I understood that I needed to de-escalate. At that point, quote, he was throwing me out onto the street, and rather than answer back or throw something, I tried to use every tool I had in recovery. I just walked out. I locked myself in the bed in the bedroom downstairs. End quote. I'm going to make this very clear for everybody listening that I take domestic violence uh, very seriously. It is something that has, uh, you know, been around in my life. So I, I very much uh, don't want to make that something that we laugh at. I do believe that you should read that claim very clearly and, and take it at face value. Some of the rest of the stuff that was in this piece, however, uh, borders on comedy. I'll just say that. It involves... Larry Elder telling that ex-fiance that he is the one who introduced Snoop Dogg to weed. That Elder successfully pressured his ex-fiance into getting a Larry's Girl tattoo, which incorporated a Superman logo. And... Just to add a little sprinkle of spice on top, the ex-fiance who met Elder at the Playboy Mansion was previously involved in the infamous Heidi Fleiss call girl scandal. Some of the other members of the Republican Party have called for Elder to drop out of the race, including Kevin Falconer and Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner's 
campaign continues to be a tire fire, despite the fact that she's actually, you know, campaigning. According to uh, the most recent surveys, Jenner is either running equal to or behind our boy Meet Kevin Pafraff, who, by the way, is now. I, I, what did I say when I talked to him? I said he needs a slogan. He needs just a thing, a real quick identifier of who he is. And he's been running as a JFK Democrat, which I think is a great identifier. Anyway, so that's where we are. The, the recall is polling tighter. And still, Gavin is the favorite, but Gavin is really kind of running against Elder. And I don't. I don't know. Republicans uh, appear to be far more turned on for this election. We'll see. There are a lot of ways that you can support this show. The way that you get bonus content to this program is to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you just want to toss me a buck an episode, which is really, not, it's not even an episode. It's a buck a week. If you want to toss me 4 to $5 a month just because you enjoy this program, the easiest way to do it on a recurring basis is to go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Get in the big tent. I thank you. I give you my eternal thanks. If you want to get two bonus podcasts uh, each and every week, you do so at the $3 level. You join our $3 club. And if you want to get your name right at the end of the show, you join at the $10 level. But there's also the one-time uh, uh, donations that people make. We're going to read those off at the end. But one of my favorites is people who come on in and uh, send us stuff to the P.O. Box. And I got three, three separate letters in the P.O. Box, and they all just delighted me. One of them was literally just a check from what I what I imagine to be either a payment processing system or just a, a thing. I, I'll bet you in your in your bank, you can just say pay by check and you can send a check to somebody. And so somebody went through all that trouble so they could send me a two dollar check, which just made me so happy. Uh, I then got another letter that uh, just said fiat money isn't real here. Have some. And indeed, they gave me 10 singles. <laughs> and then this one was my favorite. It's from uh, uh, Ben and Ellen, whom I met when I was in New Hampshire at the Thirsty Moose in New Hampshire. And they were so, uh, uh, I guess the memories are so fond of that magical night uh, during the first primary of the 2020, the cursed 2020 calendar, that they stole a pint glass from the Thirsty Moose. Well, I, let me put it this way. Somebody stole a pint glass from the Thirsty Moose and somebody has said it to me. Sources are unclear on whether or not it was Ben and Ellen, but know that whomever did it wink 
has my eternal gratitude. Uh, if you would like to send me something to my mailbox, you can do so at P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. We will give you that address again at the end of the show. Uh, but but just please know, you guys are the best. I love you. TakePoliticsSeriously.com if you'd like to get bonus content. Our guest today is a good friend and the host of the Morning Stream podcast, where I appear every Tuesday to talk politics and more. Scott Johnson is here. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Hello, Justin. My welcome is mutual, I guess. I don't know what that means. So I gave you two options of what we could do on the show. Either yeah. we could just have a free flowing conversation and we can go wherever we, we want to. And we already were doing that just personally. And then we had a, a really good point that would have made good content. And and now I panic started the show or uh, we can go back through your entire presidential voting history and we can reveal that this would be the second time that I've done. It. I did it once with my mom and people really, really dug it to go yeah. back and and if you're willing to to reveal who you voted for then we can find oh, out yeah. who who you voted for why and and uh, kind of go through your your political evolution. So which way would you want to go for us to Let's just Let's go that direction. Let's up? go that direction because I want to fo- right. I want to follow in the great uh, footsteps of Gloria Young if I can somehow pull that off. So let's <laughs> do right. it. When is the first presidential election that you voted in? What year? That would have been 1992. Right? 92. Yeah. Cause I was 18 a couple of years prior. Yeah. That would have been my first election. I could legally vote in yep. that I ever voted in. I shouldn't say it shouldn't make it sound like I illegally voted before that. I know, but that was so, the first one. So yeah. 92, you're, you're super excited. Yeah. You're, you're, you're just yelling Kurt Cobain and Tupac will never die. Uh, uh land of milk and honey. You're 18 years old. It's a, yeah. uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a great time. Were, were you politically, uh, we've, we've mentioned the last time that you were on the show that, uh, uh, your parents, certainly you had a, a, a more culturally religious upbringing, but what was your family particularly political? No, not at all. In fact, um, it's funny. I don't, some of this stuff doesn't, uh, or I guess hasn't manifested itself until later in life to me, at least, you know, some of that upbringing, what its impact was, but the more I look back on it, the more I study it, the more I realize that they were, if anything, not opposite of political, but they, it just wasn't part of our life growing up. There wasn't any sort of pressure one direction or the other. There wasn't any sort of those damn Democrats, or I can't believe what those Republicans are up to. There, there wasn't any of that. And neither was there any pressure to do anything. There was pressure to take part civically and do your duty. Yeah. And when you were 18, it was a big deal and you should vote your conscience and vote for people that you would want to vote for and that sort of thing. Um, but it was never like the family line is we are down this road or the other road. Um, if anything, we avoided that stuff pretty, pretty wholeheartedly in our household, which is, you know, again, a little odd because a lot of the people around me, uh, from what I can tell, weren't. They were pushed in one way or the other. And most of the ways they were pushed was a conservative direction, for sure. 
Well, then, then let me ask you this in, in growing up was, was that a just understood thing that, that this is, it was non-political because what else, what other outcome was going to happen either in your city, county or, or, or state being in, in Utah, that it was just like, yeah, you know, uh, maybe if, if somebody wants to decide whether Steve or Doug are the better Republican, then we can have a conversation about it. But in general, the the the, the trains kind of run on time and and that's that's less of a, a thing to fight about. I guess so. I mean, part of it was you kind of always knew that the state would lean uh, Republican when it came to, you know, votes for governors and votes for senators and, you know, like the big local all the way up to, to national. That's just kind of how you would see Utah vote. But I was also raised with a relatively, I think, nuanced look at some of that history. Yeah. Uh, for example, the state was the first to enact a women's voting, uh, voting law here, uh, or, uh, equal voting rights for women in the state, um, which is, I mean, many would say, well, that doesn't sound like a conservative plan, or at least at the time it wouldn't. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's already kind of a mixed bag and well, yeah, here's the but, other thing I learned when I, that's, that, that is, that is an element of, of Western conservatism and, and, sure. and, uh, the, the idea of kind of like frontier or, or, you know, the, the more libertarian kind of strain of conservatism that really sort of bubbled up through the fifties and sixties, uh, in, in the Republican party is something that I think if you haven't been to the West coast and realize you know, or, or just west of the, uh, you know, where west of the Mississippi, really, like, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and realize that there is an element of some of these Western states for which the bedrock is about a, a little bit more. We're trying to define our basic freedoms here. There hasn't been a Tammany Hall. There hasn't been a a gigantic, you know, political machine kind of built on top of stuff. It might be different now, but like in general, I think that the those Western states are closer to those elemental political evolutions, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. The other thing too is, um, this is a weird one, but uh, when I was younger, um, you know, raised in the LDS church, there's a big, um, at least the way I perceived it, we were anti-abortion. Like that was yes. a, a written in stone sort of thing. But later in life, I learned after spending a bunch of time in the South that we were considered kind of wackadoos on our abortion stance because our abortion stance was uh, just from, you know, the, the, the theological stance of the church yeah. was uh, in the case of or abortion, no good unless there was rape, incest or health of the mother in danger. Yeah. Those are your three caveats where, or, okay. Yeah. And, that, gonna, and that is, know. and that is not, culturally that is LDS. Like, like that is, that is the LDS yes. rules is they have those carve outs. Right now there are, there are sects and other faiths and whatever that are even looser than that. Um, but they are usually it's much more hardcore adherent to no abortion, no matter what the reasons. And so we were looked at kind of looked at as kind of uh, far out there yeah, uh, in terms of uh, almost pro abortion level. If you're like a deep South, Southern Baptist or something that just seemed crazy. Yeah. You would have these three There'd allowances. Any for, kind of allowances for this practice. Yeah. So what I learned is this stuff is granular and, and weird, but I also grew up in a household that was like, and I still feel this way today, very strongly that if nobody, nobody wants an abortion. Okay. Some people may need one. Some people yeah. may, the best thing to do is to get one. 
and there's lots of reasons, not even those three categories I mentioned. Yeah. There's there, but nobody's every day going, ah, oh, dude, you know what I'm doing this weekend? I'm going to party. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to get stoned. And then on Monday, I'm getting that abortion. Nobody does that. Nobody's excited about it. It's not a party activity. It's not the way people paint it as if we're just loosey goosey with the idea of abortion. That being said, it was never my choice to make. And this was always, this was a big thing in our family. We're like, yeah. this isn't your choice to make. It's always the woman's choice to make. And it's the hardest decision she'll ever have to make in this world, but it's hers, not yours, not anyone else to tell her what she should or shouldn't do with her own body. It's hers to make. And yeah, you can make all the millions of other arguments about, well, who decides for the baby? The baby didn't get a say, you know, all this other talk. So I grew up in a house where I felt like we were anti-abortion and pro-choice at the same time, which people think is like not picking a side or get off the fence or pick a team and stay, you know, whatever. Yeah. But to me, it actually works. It makes sense to me. Like it's the last thing you want to do. It's not my choice to do it. And I want them to have their choice to do whatever they need to do. Like that was just the way it was for us. And I, and I realized these years later that made us a little weird, even in our own little bubble. Well, I, I hate um, to break this to you, but, uh, uh, it's not just the abortion stance of the LDS church that is looked at as weird by the Southern Baptist community. So, uh, uh, you know, if you Google that one a little yeah, bit later, there's, there's number two, there, sure. number two, damn you for forcing me into doing the abortion episode of unfriend me, uh, <laughs> just totally without any kind of warning. I didn't even mean to do it, but Let's yeah, we're doing it. Let's get to 92. Yeah, 92. we did it, man. Who did you vote for? All right. I voted for George Bush Sr. in 1992. What was your and thought of what was your thought of the Reagan administration and then the Bush Jr. Uh, or, sorry, the Bush Sr. Uh, uh, extension by popular demand? I think that I bought into uh, the Reagan era. Morning in uh, America. Young, yeah. And the, just the whole, like, I don't know, there was a, there was a at least perceived surface dignity to that administration that I really like. I think there's things I mean, about it was like it. the most popular thing that we have ever had in politics since, right? Yeah. Like if yeah. you look at the yeah. numbers, like, I don't think anybody, like I, I was a, a, a child and don't remember much of it, but it's like for, for anybody to, to come out by and large, if you're, if you are being honest about that moment there's a high likelihood that the vast majority of people would have been really into Reagan because the numbers say that they were, he, yeah. he had a, one of the most, the most dominant victory that we have seen up until, I mean, still to this point. Yeah. My parents would tell horror stories about gas shortages and issues in the seventies and stuff that would have been sort of Carter, you know, yeah. I guess late, um, uh, wait, who was the vice president that took over the assembly guy? Can't think of his name all of a sudden. Ford. Uh, who? Ford. Gerald Ford. 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 Duh. Ford. Yes. The Ford, Betty Ford Center, all that. Anyway, uh, prior to Reagan, there was, at least they were like, oh man, we need something better. And it, as a kid, you're like, oh, well, it seems like it got better with Reagan. And therefore, I like Reagan. There we go. Um, it wasn't really a party thing or a politics thing, but it was definitely like, a, I, I like that guy. I think he's up there doing good stuff. And, you know, we learn about all the shady sh later, but, um, I've also learned by this time in my life that there's shape shit in every single administration. There's really not much you can do about it or avoid it. You just aim for less and hope you get less and, you know, better overall people are in charge, but, but yeah, I liked Reagan and it's not the reason I went for, for Bush senior though. The reason I went for Bush senior in 92 
was he'd already, you know, he served his first term. And I had this weird thing where in my head, he had helped keep me out of Afghanistan as a young 19 year old, 18, 19 year old. Um, really? I don't know why I equated that with him. I think it's because when all that went down, the first Gulf War, we were all huddled so around not, TV. Not, not, not Afghanistan, Iraq. You met you Iraq, Afghanistan sorry, Iraq. on, on Afghanistan. the brain, but yeah. yeah Afghanistan's all the talk today. And so keeps, you were, so you were worried that Iraq would, that we would march to Baghdad, that we would depose Saddam and that uh, there would be a draft and, and a young rail thin uh, Utah artist named Scott Johnson would be enlisted into the American military. Yeah. Basically it means I'd watched, Full Metal Jacket way too many times. <laughs> Despite um, the fact that there was no draft, you were you were not taking your chances. Right. I just really, uh, for whatever reason, it really freaked me out. Um, it must be genetic because my son had the same feelings of freak out during his his late teens. Uh, he's now 21, but um, same sort of feeling of like, that'd be the worst thing ever is to get drafted into a hideous war. Um, so anyway, in my mind, that was like, he was a better, he seemed like a better man for pulling back a little bit, not going so far as to just wreck that whole place and end up there for, for too long. It just, it's probably this, you know, some of what lost in the election. I don't, I don't really know. Cause I wasn't really paying that close attention to that, the fallout of that, but that and the no new taxes, that's all I remember uh, from his thing. But, but yeah, I just thought he was a good guy. I also really liked when we had dudes, what served in world war two in charge of things. I just felt like, as Pollyannish as that sounds, uh, there's there's an experience there that's hard to replicate. And, you know, people like him, John McCain and others who did hard during wars, hard wars. Uh, I, I, I respect that. And so uh, that was another reason that I liked him. But the biggest reason I voted for him is I thought Clinton was a lion sack. Of and I remember being so annoyed by Bill Clinton's um, saying that he didn't inhale. And the reason that bugged me wasn't because I had vilified pot in my mind or that I thought that was bad or bad on you for smoking. Who cares? I don't care about any of that. What I cared about is he wouldn't own it. And he used the lamest, stupidest excuse I'd ever heard. So for a lot of us, it wasn't any big surprise to hear him say things like, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It's like, yeah, you did. I knew you did it immediately. You freaking didn't inhale. You liar. He's such a lion second. Okay. So, so, all right. Uh, uh, number one, I think that, that your, your, your general uh, issue with, um, with, with, with Bill Clinton is correct. However, I don't know if I've told you this. I had one conversation in my life with uh, the now departed author, Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. And in that I was just picking his brain on any and everything political because he was such a fantastic political writer yeah. And in that conversation, he went to Oxford with Bill and Hillary and he says, hand to God, although he's an atheist and wrote a book about it, uh, that uh, Bill Clinton never did inhale because mm. he has a smoke allergy, but he oh, ate geez. as many pop brownies as he could possibly get his hands on. And, well, and look, uh, by the way, Hitchens is a guy who wrote a book, uh, if you have not read No One Left to Lie To, about uh, the Clintons. It is among the most 
damaging indictments. And that came out maybe two years after he got uh, uh, elected. That's probably why I was talking to him about the Clintons, because I had read that book. Uh, yeah. But he was no fan of the Clintons. But he says, yeah, but but that is indicative of kind of Bill Clinton's like it's it, it, it's the lawyer aesthetic. It, 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 it depends on what the definition of is is and and those yeah. things. And I where, hate that. I yeah. really hate that. Like that's slimy to me and lame and it's misdirecting. And now it's even, it's almost worse now that you've told me this, because what that means to me is maybe he didn't inhale, but that means he wanted to fool everybody within his vicinity while he had that freaking pot cigarette in his mouth. So he's fooling them on this low ground level. And then later he's telling us this so that he doesn't have to talk about all the brownies he ate. Like you just, it's just, and I could feel it. And I didn't like it. And it's the whole slick willy thing. And it wasn't about party. I didn't care. I just wanted some, I wanted good people. That's it. And I thought Ross Perot so you, just you, seemed you, a little you, nutty. Okay. So yeah, that was, that was the other side. So, so you were not attracted to the, the chaos agent of Perot. It was, uh, you, you thought there was a nice man doing a nice job in the white house. Let's just go ahead and off him for another, another four years. Uh, this <laughs> slick car salesman guy, I don't really cotton to in this lunatic, uh, maybe, maybe next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and George Bush senior seemed like a dude, you know, uh, I don't know with a, with a perspective that just locked him in place in a, in a way that made him feel like the smart choice, safe choice, consistent choice, blah, blah, blah. Um, All right. So let's, let's fast forward four years. Yeah, now Bill Clinton has won. We, 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 there's a montage of, uh, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Uh, uh everything's happening. Uh, <laughs> of shockingly Kurt Cobain has died. Uh, just leaving you crestfallen after your earlier exclamation. Yeah. Uh, it's 96 and Bob Dole is what the Republicans have to offer against Bill Clinton. Now you hate Bill Clinton. You yeah. really don't like Bill Clinton. Yeah. Uh, but Bob Dole, I mean, we thought Bob Dole was old. Now, apparently he's a spring chicken compared to the people that we're putting <laughs> in the White House. But uh, 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 Bob Dole or Bill Clinton, where were you at? Uh, Bob Dole, easy choice. Um, my reasons there were, again, someone who served in the war. Not only that, he had a gnarled up hand to prove it and used it everywhere he went. I respect, again, that, I don't know, there's something about that resilience that I really respect. Um, he... Uh, I just liked him. I just, I felt like that guy was, was telling me straight stuff. And every time Clinton opened his mouth, I didn't believe him. So, so to me, Bob Dole was the better man of that, of that particular, uh, get together there and, uh, should have, should have won. Plus he always, I loved how he talked. I, I loved those third person, like, well, Bob Dole thinks and Bob Dole says, I used to love yeah. that. It was great as a, just He's as a an affectation. Too. Yeah. He was he's, a funny he's guy. Really, he is a really funny guy. I, 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 I think it was during some of the free Britney stuff that somebody posted the, uh, the, the Pepsi commercial that Britney Spears was in and it ends, oh. <laughs> yeah. it ends with Bob Dole watching the television. And so the entire, <laughs> the entire commercial is, yeah. uh, uh, everybody being transfixed by, you know, the, the beautiful and talented Britney Spears as she's doing this like very nineties dance. And there's like a, a fry cook that is like his entire restaurant is going up in flames. Cause he's so like transfixed yeah. to the television. And then it ends with Bob Dole. And you might, if you're just a political nerd wonder, well, that's a weird poll. Like why on earth would Bob Dole be the person at the end watching this? 
And yeah. if you were not there, you don't remember that Bob Dole almost immediately after losing the presidency took an endorsement deal with Viagra. And so the joke is that was contemporary to the moment that Bob Dole is getting a boner watching Britney Spears on the television. I I knew about that video appearance, but I didn't know what the point of that was. Now yes. I'm never going to forget it. So that's it's, great. It's one of the funniest political uh, presidential uh, candidate footnotes I, I could ever think of. That Pepsi's like, this is going to sell cola. Yeah. Bob Dole's got a boner. Buy our co buy our yeah. Pepsi. Sorry. It's also one of the best Halloween episodes in the history of the Simpsons where they had Bob Dole and Bill Clinton uh, uh, taken over by those two aliens, Kodos and King. Yeah. And then they went off and, and morphed into them and walked around and I will bring, you know, and the whole point was to bring everybody under the same slave leadership of the two aliens. It's one of the greatest Simpsons moments ever. I just felt like it was like a great time for uh, like a time where I wasn't like super stressed about politics. I just wanted yeah. Bob Dole to win. And if he didn't, well, whatever, it's another four years of Clinton, no big deal. Little did we know that was going to get real controversial toward the end. But, but uh, yeah, I like Bob Dole. He's a nice guy. He was cool. He's, you know, seemed like a family dude, real de dedicated, and not cheaty. And I don't know. And he didn't have, and he had a gnarled up hand. He was like, Bob Dole, man. There was just something about it. I don't know. Like a, a grandpa who would just as happily tell you a story on his knee. And then turn around and kill a goat with his bare hands. Like just a, just a good mix of, you know, character and leadership. That's why I liked him. Uh, one Bob Dole personal story. A friend of mine's brother was in law enforcement while Bob Dole was touring something. And uh, he decided to, as he was in this receiving line where Bob Dole was thanking all the, the people, he decided that he was going to hold a pen in the way that Bob Dole holds the pen with his, with his arm. Yeah. And Bob Dole came up to him and he looked at him. He's like, Oh, you're kidding me. And laughed. And so that I always like politicians that have some kind of sense of humor. Uh, so that yeah, was, he uh, can, I thought pretty he, funny. he's not afraid to laugh at himself. And he, that was obvious to like during, you know, during some of the debates and stuff, he just seemed like a pretty cool dude. So yeah, I like him. Plus he's still with us. He's like, I don't know, a thousand or something. And uh Yeah, he's yeah. No. I mean, I'll tell you or or as I call it, uh ready for the White House. Um yeah. <laughs> All right. So 4 years later, you, oh, you are know now what I can't remember by the way. I can't remember where the life of me is who his running mate was. No memory of it. I mean, I know oh, you're gonna kill I know me. you had It's um, not Jack uh, Camp. Is it no, Camp? It wasn't It wasn't Jack Camp, was it? No, Camp was uh Kemp was, was Perot's. No, no, Stockdale. No, it was Kemp. It was it Kemp. I can't find it. So you better Google it. You better Google yeah, it. Jack Kemp. You're right. Yeah. You're totally baby. right. Yep. See, I, I, even now hearing that, I'm like, really? That was Jack. Okay. I just, I feel like he was nowhere during that campaign where you saw, um, freaking, uh, what's his name all the time on the Clinton side. Al Gore. Uh, Al, Al Gore. Gore. Al Gore invented the internet. And he was just running around and it was always part of something. Jack Kemp was a no show as far as I was concerned. There was like no nothing there. But Funny you should mention Al Gore because four years later, it is Al Gore <laughs> versus George W. Bush. Now, let me ask you just in general, we are now eight yeah. years into your adult life being a able-bodied voter. Yeah. Uh, has your political 
sensibilities uh, or just awareness changed any in that in that eight years? Had you become more politically involved, less politically involved? I presume at this time you are. Uh, have you married Kim? Have you had kids? Like what? Where where are you? So where are you at in your life in the year two thousand? All right. So in the year 2000, I'd had, I got two little girls at this point, um, one born in 94 and my middle kid born in 97. And so they were born, you know, kind of right around these landmark times. Yep. And Nick was about to be born in 2000. Uh, so I kind of had, weirdly, I have kids right around election time. It's weird. Um, I hadn't really thought of that before, but yeah. So, so come 2000 to, to answer that question, but also your, a slightly earlier one, had had my taste or my understanding or my whatever, you know, evolved in that time. Awareness. Yeah. Awareness. Sure. I guess so. But I don't know. Not really. Like I feel like nine 11 was a big turning point for me in terms of the kind of attention that I would give to politics. Sure. Prior yeah. to that, it was like, well, who's in charge? Are they capable? Okay, cool. We'll get through it. And I got to focus on this job or my kids or whatever. I'm not really thinking about it. Uh, when, when Dole or sorry, when, um, uh, when George Bush Jr. came around, I thought he was a ding dong. <laughs> I, I always yeah. thought everything he said was kind of dumb. And I don't mean to just, I, I know that's the stereotype of George Bush Jr., George W. Bush, but I i really felt like he was like a, a spoiled kid brought up in a very well-to-do family, very well-connected family. And he seemed kind of dumber than a doornail and not presidential to me at all in terms of like leadership skills or communication skills or any of the stuff that I think a good president should have. Um, I mean, he seems like a genius now compared to recent stuff, but at the time it was just like, dude, you just do not, I don't know. You seem like a dumb, dumb. And that, w, and that to me, W seemed to have only like, you know, he had a, a thing, a vibe that was either very relatable or you thought he was a, you know, a sub Forrest Gump intellect. Yes. Which probably says something about our day now of some of our divisions, because I really did feel that way, but I had friends that were like, nah, you'd have a barbecue with him. He'd be great. The stories he'd tell. And I'm like, dude, he can barely speak English. We don't want this guy. So I voted for Al Gore that year. So Al Gore and was I, your guy. Al Gore was my guy. Uh, I did like his um, environmental stuff. And I also thought, he was smart. Uh, he was a little bit of a goob, but I mean, the environmental stuff really wasn't there in the, in the campaign. Like that wasn't was the thing so much. that picked up. Yeah. That was the thing he picked up later. That's true. But he also, but he had said some stuff and, and during, during the Clinton presidency, it was always Dole who was like, we're going to work on better, Gore. you know, emissions, this and that. And I, I just think we're, we should be better at taking care of our. And so I liked his stance on that stuff. Uh, Sadly, he didn't win, but yeah, he was my, he was my vote that year. I'm sure he'll be happy um, to hear that. I'm sure he will. <laughs> what was your take on, on, on the 2000 chaos? Like, is um, that something that we like kind of registered for you? Were you following it? Like the, like the OJ trial or, or where is it just like, ah, just let me know when there's a president who cares. Well, I got, I got was, kids here. It was kind of, it was a little bit of like, pick one and be done with it. But I did watch it pretty carefully. The hanging chads and all that stuff became, you know, part of the everyday talk with everybody. What, what, did, what was, did you watch? What did you watch closer or they could be equal the Lewinsky fallout or the 2000? Um, drama? Probably e equal. I think like, I remember 
the Lewinsky thing, we're talking very early in sort of internet time. And yeah. that was significant because the entire testimony thing, that big packet of, of information that came out was, it was like the first time you could actually get this shit in your inbox. Someone would send yeah. me a, you know, a document. And I remember reading through that document and, you know, it's easy to get, Oh, where's the tantalizing details about the blue dress or whatever BS everybody was talking about. But it was the first time where I felt like you got an information dump and we, the people could read it. Could just um, read it. So, yeah. Yeah. That was significant. I thought that was a big deal. 98. Uh, that was a big deal. The thing with Florida. Way, was more have, like, I, have I ever, have I ever told you this, that that was like uh, one of my, my first moments where I realized I love politics was that number one, like pornography was just printed in the newspaper and it was like the best <laughs> thing ever. I'm in high school. And so I'm reading the pornography that was printed in the newspaper in high school. And these teachers yeah. are coming over to me and saying like, that's great. It's great to see that you're socially engaged. Like what an amazing, what an amazing thing that you're doing. And I'm like, this is the best, like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I'm just reading straight pornography and, and I'm, I'm, I'm the best citizen ever. Yeah. But you, yeah, there, there was a definitely that aspect to it. And there's also, and then, the and then thing, 2000 happened. Oh my God. Yeah, politics was yeah. just the best. It was just a, it was a, it was a smattering of, of, of wishes coming true. But here's the thing with 2000. Like I watched that the way you would watch, you know, football overtime. Yeah. Um, Cause that's the feeling it gave you of like, Oh my gosh, we're in the final stretch here and they've done what they found some hanging chads. What does that mean? Time out, go to the tape. Like that yeah. sensibility was all over that thing. And I, and I enjoyed it for that, you know, for that aspect, but I was never like, well, if one guy doesn't get in, we're screwed. And if the other guy gets in, we're saved. It was, it never felt like that. It was just like, well, we'll get the dummy, I guess if he wins. And if not, we'll get the guy I think is smarter. Um, but I didn't think either one of them were giant turds. Yeah. They just, you know, one that just didn't seem very competent was all. All right. 2004, obviously nine 11 in the middle of it, a lot less uh, uh, tantalizing and exciting than the Lewinsky or 2000 fiasco, uh, a gigantic thing that kind of reframes all of America and, and culture sends us to war in not one, but two countries. Kerry versus Bush. Yeah. John Kerry. So I, uh, so just for a little background, 2002, we helped, we, uh, hosted the Olympics here and this makes it, this is a big deal, even though I'm not that big of a follower of the Olympics. So I don't care that much yeah. about it. Um, having, but it you are, but you here, are a noted son of Salt Lake city. And that was a gigantic thing to happen in Salt Lake. It was Lake a city. huge thing. Gigantic. Thing. Yeah. And not only that, this is where everyone fell in love with Mitt Romney back in those days. Cause Mitt Romney, who was in the private sector at the time or no, was he governor in mass? I, can't I remember think what he, he was had doing. been, he had, I think he might've been coming out of governorship of Massachusetts and came to Salt Lake city to rescue the flagging right. Olympic situation. And I have this really interesting connection to this because the beat, the guy that was in charge before the one that was charged with fraud and all those other issues that came with that guy's mishandling of it. Um, I used to work in a building that was a psychiatrist office or a, a therapy office, psychology office. And he was there going to see a psychologist and I would hear them two offices over yelling at the top of their lungs in that room. And, really? Uh, I don't remember his name. May or may not be a HIPAA violation, but please him, go ahead. It might not be, yeah. But him and his wife were in that room just screaming at each other. And I could hear the doctor who I knew saying, like trying to calm him down. It was never words I could understand, but it was just a lot of like Bane in the basement, just, just screaming at each other. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. 
they'd walk out of there all sweaty and mad and like stomping out of there all the time. And I'd see this like three, four times a month. And so I even had more of a, of a, of a, <laughs> of this moment of like, Oh, Romney's going to come save us from this hor- horrific pair of people that are just a nightmare to deal with that I've seen both personally and across the local news all the time. And he sweeps in there and he says, not only am I going to get it all ready and done and finished on time, but we're going to make a profit. We're not going to lose money. Like every other city does. We're not going to do it. And everybody's like, Oh no way. Let's see how this goes. And we totally did it. He pulled it off. We didn't lose money and it was awesome. And we still have these great venues and it's, you know, some of that stuff's like world-class people come here and do all kinds of cool. So it was just a big deal. And I have a little two-year-old son now. I've got this three-year-old or a five-year-old and eight-year-old daughter. You know, it's just family time all around. Everything's great. The problem is right before all of this is 9-11. And 9-11, when that happened, a whole bunch of, you know, I don't want to even start with the the emotions everyone feels on a national level. But one of those for me was, oh, this means we're getting Bush for another four. There's just no way. Like whoever comes next, it's just going to. I Okay, so to answer your question, I voted for Kerry. But you I wanted to make Kerry. this part clear. Yeah. I did. I like Kerry again, military experience. George Bush did had none. Um, he came in with some perspective and well, stuff that I, I mean, that I you know, Texas Air National Guard. But I will say that I mean Kerry <laughs> Kerry's military service was controversial. It was. Uh certainly it was. But they're not 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 quite the the stoic greatest generation <laughs> World War II service of some of the folks that you had highlighted before. Well, it starts to get a little mushy in the Vietnam stuff. You know, it's hard it harder to, yeah. harder to con- reconcile that war. And I'm sure it was as mushy in World War II, but everyone put everybody on a pedestal from that. And that's Hitler just a helped cultural. a lot with clarifying the moral lines. Yeah, yeah. You need your Darth Vader. To if Hitler. You if you don't have Vader, a clear Vader, you're screwed. Yeah. Uh, you're screwed. But anyway. I, I did vote for Kerry and I was really uh, hopeful that he would just, I don't know, just, I just wanted someone with, with more brains. That's all. And it was fine that if Bush won, it meant the country was like, well, we need to stick together. We need to hold the line. We need to every day, day, whatever. I didn't know then that these wars and stuff were going to take as long as they did. Uh, that sort of stuff. I probably would have been more critical of that, but that's why I voted for Kerry and not Bush. It was once again down to, I still don't think he's the right guy. And at that time it was like, well, Cheney, Cheney's pulling all the strings now. And if it's not him, it's uh, Rumsfeld. And, you know, he's not really doing anything. They're all just telling him what to do. And and I bought into that. I felt like Bush wasn't really calling anything. So it, it sounds like that you have had a fairly unbroken line that you always have an emotional relationship to either somebody running for president or who is the president. In fact, it seems that, that the, the person that you have the strongest negative reaction to often wins. Yeah. Why is that? I wonder it's a weird thing. <laughs> now that you say it, I hadn't really thought of that. Before, Cause wait a minute. Cause right. yeah. Are you, are you a perpetual loser from, and <laughs> in, in, since George uh, senior, cause you, uh, you went against Clinton twice. You went against Bush twice. Well, the reason, so okay, they, I'll tell you why let's, let's jump to 08 real quick. Cause I'll, t- yeah. I'll tell you why I voted for uh, Barack Obama over uh, John McCain, McCain who would like to be your guy. Right. And I like John McCain. I really liked him. I liked him all the way up to his death. I think John McCain was a great leader and I know, you know, people are going to pick apart whatever, but I like John McCain for a lot of the reasons I've already expressed. I think John McCain was a good man, a good human being. And he wasn't perfect. And none of them are. And the more time that goes, the more I realize how imperfect they all are. 
The fact that they want to run for the damn thing anyway might be called a personality flaw. I don't know. But the point is, I really liked him. Uh, I really disliked, uh, what's her name? Sarah Palin. from here. Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. Really disliked Sarah Palin. And to the point that I felt like it really, well, I don't think I'm not the only one that feels this way. I think this is a pretty common feeling among everybody from that era, but she sank that ship. She was not the right pick at all. And, and it was, so you were undecided. Um, I wasn't undecided. I think I was, I was actually leaning more McCain in the beginning. Um, but I really, I felt like her stuff was just too, I was like, Whoa, what the wackadoo bullshit are you talking about? And then he'd be like, now, now let's get back. And he'd be like, Mr. Normal, I'm going to run for president. And then she'd be allowed to talk somewhere. Uh, and this isn't about her being a woman, everybody keep your emails to yourselves or send them all to Justin. I don't care. I guess. Yeah. We're on my show now. So I'm the one who gets emails. I'm not, it's nothing to do with anyone's gender. What I'm saying is she's, her ideas are wackadoo schmoopy poo. And I don't like them at all. And I think that she is an early symptom of the mess that conservatives are in today. Um, making them, you know, just a pale uh, turd of what they used to be. And so let me, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question though. Policy wise. Yeah. What was Sarah Palin into that you found offensive? Um, Mostly her. How do I explain it? It's hard to, because she had, I mean, because she's the vice president, so she's not going to policy-wise have anything no. that John McCain was important. Now, she was unprofessional. She was yeah. uh, uh, arrogant and certainly not ready for the moment. Uh, she walked blindly into some of these interviews and really, I think, made an ass of herself. But uh, uh, I, I don't know if that was a sign of any kind of moral or or policy decay. No, not really, but it was a sign of expertise. You should ignore expertise. Expertise is dead. Instead, you need to just put, let's put folksy people in there that have no experience. This kind of weird idea started to I mean, you know who they were running against. Oh, no, I know. I know who they're running against. My point, my point is though, like that attitude of it's where it's why we get Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's why people like Trump get in like this, this weird attitude of. Yeah, but look, the nation had decided that they wanted fresh ideas, right? Which is why Obama beat Clinton. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, the the reason that that he won in his own party and the reason that he ultimately beat McCain, I think, is because of these these reasons that I'm describing yeah. this weird feeling of like, ugh, she's freaking Jew. But dude, you liked it with Obama, and and it, it found you found it distasteful in Palin. Um, I like well, no, not just dis- no. I don't. Well, let me well, put it this hold way. On. What what would then, then 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 what was the difference between uh, Obama, which eventually got your vote, and wackadoo schmoopy poo, as you had said <laughs> earlier, with Sarah Palin? Okay, had he he didn't run with. Did he, who, Obama didn't run with Clinton as a running mate, right? No, he beat Clinton. He beat Clinton and then, and then Biden came on as his vice president. Right. Okay. Let's just say for, uh, argument's sake, he had chosen Clinton to, uh, Hillary Clinton to be his running mate. Okay. That would have been a much harder pick for me, um, as to who I was going to vote for. Because you hate women. No, it's not because I hate women. (laughs) (laughs) I think I just think in this particular case, these two women are 
uh, extremes of the same cloth. And I don't like either tip of those, those, those cloths. Now, that being said, I would have, I would have taken Clinton a hundred times over Donald Trump. So, you know, it's all a game of, of, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but I, I may have, may have thought differently. I don't actually know though. Cause the, cause the end of the day, it came down to, all right, who are the, who's, who's the good, who, who has the good character? Well, I think McCain's got a good character. I think Obama has good character. All right. Well, you're pretty equal that way. So what else is there to look at? Wackadoo schmoopy poo or uh, Joe Biden guy's been in politics for a boring white haired old Biden. Like who cares? That to me was like, well, I'm voting for that because it kind of solves my problem. So it doesn't yeah. look like a better package, better complete package. He was well, six months away from calling, from, from calling Barack Obama clean and nice. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> Joe Biden was. I mean, I got, I got, what I also was stoked about was a president of color. I was like stoked about what that meant. Like that was a big move, like a big stepping stone a big would, would, uh, would, it be, would it be safe to say that you are an emotional voter that that you that, oh, that a, a, can, a candidate has to resonate with you emotionally uh, uh for them to get your your support yeah they have to it's 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 usually a uh, it's not like emotional like oh i can't believe he said that thing i'm gonna vote it's not like that it's more like no no, no. you have you have to vibe with them i have to vibe with them I have to feel like they're trustworthy to whatever level you can be to run for office. Um, and I don't know. I just like better people. Like the reason I think, you know, sure. Biden's kind of slow and dopey and, you know, folksy. And Hold all on, we'll, get that, we'll get there. 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 All right. All right, all right. Uh, we, we only have a few more to go. Okay. Now here, Obama versus Mitt Romney. So finally you're back. You're back in the winter circle yeah. for the first time since 1992. <laughs> It took until 2008 for you to finally pick a winner. Yeah. Uh, and now I have a feeling that you're going to go back to skid row because I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to wager a hundred dollars to myself that there's no way you didn't vote for Mitt Romney. Yeah. I voted for Mitt Romney. In and as, as, as I think we already, we already kind of uh, went over the reasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's again, very similar reasons. And I also think that those were two, those are two at their core, good men. Um, I think I was, I'm a little biased toward Romney given all the local connections and all that stuff. I think that's what pushed yeah. me over the edge. Um, I really didn't like, what's his name though? Uh, Paul. Paul Ryan. Yeah, I think Paul anyone's Ryan. name today. Paul Ryan uh, annoyed me and I don't know why. I couldn't even tell you why. I don't know what it was. Now Something he's the Paul opposite Ryan. of your problem with Sarah Palin because yeah, he, no, he is. is, he is all experience. He's all numbers. He, he's, he's almost too much like a computer that, that you're like, no, get out of here. Uh, pencil head. Uh, I need some sizzle. <laughs> yeah. Like he's not, he's not that much worse than, uh, uh, you know, dude that Bush senior ran with uh quail, Dan quail. He's not like, it's not like that's that different of a thing. And he's, he was fine. Well, I guess. no, no, no. It's a, it's a, you know, Paul Ryan's thing was that he was, he was too much of a nerd. You know, yeah. Quail was not Quail was looked at as as the equivalent of like a himbo in in uh, <laughs> uh, the era that he that he ran. He was yeah. he, like, which is funny because now you look at him and you're like, oh, he's like an unremarkable politician. But the way that he was discussed back in the day was like, oh, look at big, dumb, beautiful boy. Like, oh, yeah. then George Bush just wants to put a male model next to him. Yeah. Well, by the end of Ryan's tenure as House Speaker and all that other stuff, he he's he had lost whatever steam he had back then like this he got wrecked in that trump era what a weird 
I think also losing best. losing an election also puts a little well, that stank helps, on you. But it puts a little stank <laughs> that on helps, you. That certainly helps. But yeah, like I I just um it it was more of a toss up than ever. And I'll have to you know I admit I felt like I wasn't sure quite what I was going to do, but I ended up siding with Romney. I really liked that Romney documentary that was behind the scenes. This came out after the election. Um, yeah. It was called Mitt or something. Um, there's a lot in there that will help people understand why I like him. Um, yeah. And I, and I, again, he, he is far from perfect. And there's a lot of policy stuff that drives me crazy about him. But I also respect a ton about that dude since all this happened. And during the, the Trump years, you know, Mitt did stuff that nobody else would do. And, I respect him for that. Look, Mitt Romney took off his shirt at like 70 and boxed uh, Evander Holyfield. Yeah, so, he did. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I know I, I would say I would I would estimate of my personal friends about 30 percent that would willingly take off their shirt in front of uh, television cameras <laughs> in general. So and they yeah. are certainly not 70 years old, nor are they uh, boxing uh, Evander Holyfield. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 cheers. Cheers to the mittens. Uh, okay. So now we, now we come to the, uh, the moment, uh, the moment that I think many, many folks who know us from our work on, on the morning stream, uh, know that, that things kind of took a bit of a turn over the last five years. (laughs) Yeah. Why from, well, here, let let me, now that we've, it's all fresh in your head. What was the last election that put you in as much of an emotional state as the 2016 election did? Well, if you don't count the 2020 election. Yeah. Not counting that just up until, up until 2016, up until 2016. Yeah. Cause that was pretty gnarly too. Um, probably, probably the 20 or the 2000, Hanging Chad business, the Florida business. I think so. That- it was after the after it happened. But I mean, I, I would I would guess you you even connected it earlier with Sarah Palin. That 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 would have been my guess that it was two thousand and eight where you were just like, oh no, like this person can't be in the White House. I am well, I am disgusted yeah. by this person. I, yeah, I, that, I mean, this, that was this is an emotional, this, an emotional yeah. thing that like, I know immediate, there's nothing that they can say the, the, the next address could be like, I just want to shout out my homie, Scott Johnson. And I would, I would still turn around and spit on the ground. Yeah. The minute Trump entered race was the minute I went, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but of this Republican pack running, I'll take any of these toeheads. I'll take Ted Cruz, who I despise. I can't stand him, but I'll take him over to Trump. I'll take uh, Mark Rubio. I'll take or Marco rather, I'll take any of these guys, Ben Carson, don't care. I don't care how dumb or lame or whatever. I will take any of them over this Yeah, because this guy is a mistake waiting to happen. And you are either a complete dummy for voting for him or you are not. And I was sure that the are nots were going to, we're going to win that one out. The problem is, and I was also mad at the Democrats, the best they could do was make sure to get nominated. The, one of the most, disliked people in all of politics in the history of politics, Hillary Clinton or Bill, you're going to do that again. And you're going to do it up next to the equivalent from the other side. And that was the election. I went, Oh my gosh, the best we can do overall. Like this is it. This is the best we can do. The highest office in the land, the, the beacon of uh, democracy worldwide. And these are the two. 
Are you kidding? But even in that case, I know Clinton would have been a better pick than, than him and voted for her accordingly. Uh, he will, he'd never get even a smell of a vote from me. Nothing. Nada. He's not. Well, a I think, I think, I think, I think we're aware. I think we're aware. I, I, I could think, go I think on, your, I could your, go your on for issue, days. Your issue is clear and you did. Yeah. <laughs> for, you have for, 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 for uh, uh, Tuesdays over the last five years. I think, yeah, I, I guess, I guess that if there is kind of a, a pulling this into the station question that I'd like to explore is had you ever felt that before? Because your no. hatred for Trump is something that in our friendship seems to be unique amongst everything. Like, I, mm. I don't know. I know people, we have conversations about uh, privately about people that you like hate, like really, really, really dislike. And <laughs> yeah. you don't speak with the kind of vitriol that you do about <laughs> Donald Trump. Like yeah, there are conversations about things that are like, you know, you are, you are disgusted by like, and, mm -hmm. and you do not speak with it, but there, there is still an, an element of honor and decency for which you feel needs to be marshaled. That is thrown out the window. The second that Donald Trump's name is, is mentioned. So let me widen it. Is there anything in your life that you can compare to the rage you feel upon hearing the name Donald Trump? Mm, no, I don't think so. I think that I think that might be the maximum. That might be where my level 10 is. My 11 maybe is, is anger about that. And, and just overall just disappointment in us as a people. Um, and, and I didn't normally, it's not one of those things where I can look in parts of my life and say, well, Scott, you got all worked up at the beginning of something and it turned out in the end, it was just fine. So why'd you get so worked up at the beginning? This is the first time where I felt like I got really worked up in the beginning and was seeing justification for my anger all the way through right up until the bitter end, right up until that January 6th freaking riot um, and everything in between. It was constant reminder that this is a poison that we put in there and, and I hated it and I felt horrible during most of it. And it was bad for me. It was bad for me to be that, that worked up about it. But I was also at a stage in my life where my kids between the ages of, you know what? Nick would have been sixteen when when he was. Uh, it sounds about right. Uh, elected, yeah. Oh yeah, two thousand twenty sixteen. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> easy math. Ten years. There we go. Anyway, uh, he he's just getting started. In, you know the 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 hard part of high school. My daughters are getting ready for their next big steps, and all I can think about is this is this is what they this is their world. Like what are we what are we freaking doing? And that and that added to it and made it worse. Cause I just, I felt like I was sending them off to the wolves in a weird way. It's hard to explain. Um, at the end of it all though, I don't, in some ways that feeling is not over for me. In fact, very much so not over for me, but it's no longer an imperative that I constantly have to vent it. Um, like I, like I felt like I had to in those early years uh, of 2016 to say 2018, where I felt like it was just like, I just had to say something about it all the time. My social media got clogged with it. I got, you know, talking about it on shows too much. I think some of that stuff was a mistake, not just from a content standpoint, but I don't think it was healthy for me um, mentally. And I've also, uh, I think since then learned that I think this next generation kind of has things under control a little bit. Um, we don't give them enough credit for it. We always want to make fun of millennials and Gen Z's and everything, but they are more tuned in to, 
the problems they potentially have to face, be they economic or social or whatever they are, than I than I was even close to being at their age. And I think they've got a handle on things. I'm not as worried about that as I used to be. So, you know, it's easier to say it outside of the umbrella of the Trump years, but those years may come back. And and I'm trying to be ready not to be a total freak about it next time if he does. Um, so you, the thing so is, you I'm regret, in the category that shouldn't things. care. I should be the, I should be the guy that doesn't care. I should be the guy, uh, white dude in America who's had every opportunity. Uh, they're not coming after me when they get up and, and do terrible things in politics. It's not me they're targeting. Who is they? But somebody like the Trump administration, that that kind of conservatism or or whatever. I don't even care anymore about conservatives or liberals. To me, it's just those kind of people who are in office who harbor uh, really burned in tendencies toward uh, race and racism and sexism and um, just bully it, everything from the, you know, leaked tapes of him on that motor home all the way up until him getting sued for paying a cooker off and having all the records that he did it and acting like it never happened. Like all of that stuff uh, is just toxic and horrendous. And I hate it. And I hated it then. And uh, what was my point though? I was getting to an answer. <laughs> I was getting somewhere. What was I going to say about that? The whole point was uh, that uh, I don't know. It's bad, I guess, is what I was trying to say. I had a point with that. I was going somewhere. You know what? Sometimes you can see it and you're like, there it is. I'm going to get it. You're Indiana Jones. You got a bag of sand. You think you've weighed it right. You're going to pull that head out and do this. And then I forget what I was going to do. Scott, I could think of no better way to encapsulate <laughs> your Trump commentary than for you screaming at the top of your lungs and forgetting what your point was. Uh, I feel like that is, that is exactly, that is exactly what, what encapsulates us into, into all of it. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, look, we, we, and by the way, if you go back and listen to the first conversation that we had with Scott on, on PX3, I think we went into a little bit more of the kind of, uh, uh, you know, Trump, uh, uh, situation that you were in and, and, and how you handled it and, and whether or not you thought that was good or bad, but uh, uh, I, I guess really, yeah. The only last thing that I wanted to ask you was whether or not anything else has ever kind of, uh, uh triggered you like that. And, and I guess the answer is absolutely no until the next no. time. Well, then, yeah. all right. What, one final thing on the way out the door, then do you think that you are escalating to a point where, you know, if Trump doesn't run and it's Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is going to be just the next guy that you're getting increasingly more angry about. And eventually you'll just find another villain in, in 12 years and you'll just explode into a, a pile of dust or uh, has, has this kind of uh, given you a perspective that, that maybe you can't dial in like this to, to politics in the same way. Well, if anything, I've learned that the teams mean nothing. It doesn't do you any good to pick a team. Um, you're going to find something to be disappointed in. And also, you know, could there be somebody worse, I suppose? Um, but that party has been destroyed in my mind. The GOP as it stands today is not the party I used to vote in. It's a really, it's a heap of burning flesh. It's awful. And I don't want anything to do with it right now. So they would have to do a lot to convince me that they've got somebody in there. Like you could say, Hey Scott, what about your old pal Mitt? What if he ran again? And let's say he was 10 years younger, you know, whatever scenario you want to make up. Um, I would. I'd consider that given his behavior during those five years we just talked about, because that to me 
was somebody acting in the better interest of the, con- of the so, country. So you, so, not- so you would consider yourself more of a partisan now than you've ever been because you've discounted the Republican Party. Because we, we, we've gone through your entire thing and you voted bipartisan the entire time. You are truly a swing voter yeah. uh, uh, based on who you have said you voted for. But now you are a Democratic by default voter because you have a a bad taste in your mouth from the Trump Republican well, experience. Well, that, but it's also, it's, what other choice do I have given that we have a two party system and that's, that's who will be running. But I also need them to be good people. I can't, I can't, you know, if somebody's a total turd and they say, well, I'm only two inches less a turd than Trump. So vote for me. That may not be good enough either. Um, will I ever, you know, my, my faith in the institution certainly shaken a little bit. Um, but I think stuff tends to come around. So you know, that rising road quote from, I don't know, Roosevelt, I think is the one that said it. History's a rising road. I believe it. I believe that ultimately long-term things get better. It takes a while. It's incremental. Um, it takes 30 years to, to have Jim Crow policies. And then suddenly we have a black president 30 years later. Like it takes time for this stuff to happen. It's more like 40 years. But point is like, I really believe that Not in some stuff states. in the long run's better. We're going to eat better. We're going to live better. We're going to do all the things better, but we're going to have these big dips and these dips, this dip we just had was a real show and we're probably not done with that dip, but I do feel like I can kind of see some sunshine on the other side. So I'm not saying like in 10 years, I may, we may be looking at a complete flip because that's what I've learned from this is it all flips. Everybody flips. So maybe the Republicans will be the voice of reason then, or a third party is finally allowed to compete in this damn thing or Democrats are still getting my vote. I don't know, but it, to me, it's all about people and how they behave and act and treat others. That's it. That's it. I don't care about their party. But that's, 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 and, and the last thing is we do have to wrap up, but uh, uh, it is fascinating to me that you have been very consistent in saying, this is about uh, a people. This is a people business. I'm an emotional voter. I need to vibe with people. I need to understand where I, I need to have a sense of where I believe they're coming from. You, you felt that with some of these people, you were lukewarm on others. You made your peace with it and voted for them. But there were some people for which you were immediately turned off and there's nothing that could happen that, that, uh, uh brought you back. And that's the only thing that I find interesting about the party question. Cause you're like, well, the party's ruined which is a collection of a million different people, some of which I'm sure you think are terrible and some of which I'm sure you you definitely think your favorite person on earth is Mitt Romney and he's a member of the Republican <laughs> Party. So like, yeah. uh, uh, that's that's what's interesting. But but because I think that is very much a, a part of our modern political meta is the tribal warfare. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the idea of if you hate this person, if you hate AOC, you hate the Democrats. If you hate Bernie Sanders, you hate the Democrats. If you hate Hillary Clinton, you hate the Democrats. If you hate Trump, you hate the Republicans. If you hate Marjorie Taylor Greene, you hate the Republicans. When all of it is a constant caucus and and uh, jostling for ideas, and there are these contests for which put leadership people into into place, and then they cycle out. The the parties are remarkably fluid if you look at history. Yeah. I mean, the goal, the goal in my mind is if you're going to, you got to do the dirty work to get wherever you get because politics is dirty. But once you're there, who are you? That matters to me more. And I can't tell entirely who they are, but I can get a pretty good idea. And it's those guys, I, those guys and ladies I tend to vote for. I would have loved Elizabeth Warren in the white house. That would have been 
great. Not just because she'd be the first woman, but I really like the way she thought and did things. Don't try to butter up to the women now. Uh, your record is clear, too late Senator now. Johnson. Oh, it's too late. Your record late. is clear. Yeah, you uh, can't get that vaccine when you're in the when you're on the ventilator. I get it. I got it. <laughs> Uh, Scott, thank you so much for taking uh, the time out to to uh, bear your political soul here on the PX3 show. I, I appreciate it. It's a it's a this is this is now the chance I get to vent some of these things where I, I hold back in other places now. So I appreciate the chance to let a little bit of this smoke out today. So thank you. <laughs> And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. One thing on the way out of here from Politico, some bad news for the parents listening. The National Institute of Health Director says that vaccine approval for kids between the ages of 5 and 12 is unlikely before late 2020. 21. So if you were hoping for something in the first semester of this year before winter break, tamp down those expectations. This contradicts rosier timelines by the Biden administration, including Dr. Fauci. If you want to thank Scott Johnson for coming on this show, you can do so at px3guest.com. You can always email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch streams are at px3live.com. Our podcast is px3podcast.com. And our merch is politicsmerch.com. If you like to support us with a one-time donation, you can do so. paypal.me slash payjury. px3cash on Cash App. And of course, you can you can go ahead and participate in our ongoing scientific study to find out if Venmo money is real by sending me a dollar to justin-young-20. If you'd like to send me anything to the P.O. Box, it is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast, just like these fine folks, including Headphones Neil, Dr. G, The Other Half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, The Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley Steven, Kathy Mack, Zombie Doc, D, Really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Gen, Middle-Aged Mike, Dotcom, Junkie, Calamity, Zap, D-Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, Anile Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy Montana, Chad, David, Snuffies, Off Route 44. And by the way, somebody came to me over the weekend and said, oh, I, I don't know what Snuffies is. Just Google Snuffies, Andrew Heat, and, and you're welcome. Charles, Olin and Angela, DL, Miranda Janelle, persons familiar with the matter, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, just another pilot, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. And I'll tell you what, this was actually an amazing thing. Just another pilot sent me an insane gift, a gift that I, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to repay. It's a box of my own cigars. Cigars with my face on it. They're called Justins, apparently because the guy who rolled them is like many people who are Spanish language speakers uh, have a hard time with Justin. 
uh, uh, it is Houston. And so it is J O S T Y N. They smoke like a dream. I I'm, I'm over the moon. All right. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Politics. Politics. Politics.